Our reading begins at Matthew 21 and verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servant. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. The tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew that he was talking about them. They looked for a word they could say in reply and from that day on no one dared, oh, oh sorry, <laughs> they looked for a way to arrest him but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, 
tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Okay, good morning. Good to see you. Um, My name's Mike. Uh, Last week, if you were here with us, we began a new series in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Last week, we saw three uh, provocative actions of Jesus, provocative actions of Jesus that were really designed and grouped together in the Gospel of Matthew for a purpose. They're in chapter 21. Uh, They were the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, Jesus coming in as king. It was the clearing out of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree. Uh, This week, we're going to be picking up almost where we left off in chapter 21. Uh, Jesus is still in the temple precinct. Uh, You'll notice that for context in verse 23 of chapter 21, it'd be great uh, if you have your Bible open as we kind of keep flicking back and looking at uh, what's going on in this chapter. So it's on page 1536, if you'd like to open there. So for a bit of context, Jesus enters the temple in verse 23, enters the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. It's worth noting that Jesus, at least in large part, is addressing those chief priests and elders, the Jewish spiritual elite. And this section, little section on authority, it wasn't read today, it's just before the reading. That little section on authority, Jesus essentially accuses the Jewish leaders as having failed to recognize that John the Baptist was from God and failing to recognize that he himself is from God. And so he throws down these three parables. Again, three parables that I think are clustered together for a reason by the writer Matthew. The parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, and the parable of the wedding banquet. So lots of meaty stuff in here. We won't be able to get into every detail, but let's have a look at how Matthew is using these parables as a group. Okay, so parables designed, I think, for this main point when taken together. The kingdom belongs to all people who acknowledge King Jesus, repent, and live in the way of righteousness. It's about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, God's heavenly kingdom. Okay, have you ever felt like you don't belong? I sometimes feel like I don't belong. I suspect that often people feel like they don't belong. Um, 
For me, I, I sometimes feel this way at dinner parties, you know, perhaps at medical dinner parties. My wife, Jen, is a doctor, and you kind of go to these parties and you're trying to engage in medical secrets thrown around and hospital politics. Um, but even just dinner parties, I know people reasonably well. Sometimes you're sitting down at the table and on your right hand there's someone there who's leaning that way and having a conversation over there and you're trying to break in, you know, talk about the workplace. And on the left there's someone there but they're, they're kind of leaning over this way and having a great conversation about drill bits or something. And you know, oh, I've got a drill. You, you can't, sometimes you feel like I'm not really engaging there and I'll try over here. I'm not, I can't stand to break in there. You end up just reading the menu or throwing down the lectern. <laughs> reading the menu thinking... What am I doing here? <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a nice feeling, is it? Feeling like uh, you don't belong. Oh, I don't want my kids to feel that way either. But you know, they will sometimes. So my son Cameron uh, is loving basketball at the moment, but he joined the season a bit late and didn't have the top, hasn't the right uniform. So he kind of stands out a little bit, and he doesn't really mind. He just gets in and plays. But it can be a bit of a problem. So uh, if he fouls someone, the umpire can't call out his number. So he just points, zero, foul, and zero. It's like, oh, buddy. <laughs> Sometimes all you need to feel like you fit in and belong is the right clothing. Uh, when I was in primary school, I, I really felt this need to, to fit in and to belong, and I didn't always feel that way. Um, I don't, this will show my age a little bit, but when I was in year seven, there was a fashion craze. I don't know if you remember Happy Pants. Does anyone remember Happy Pants? few nods. They're kind of the big colourful pants with the Velcro straps. Uh, there was a cool kid at school that had happy pants and I wanted happy pants. And the big logo at the front, the branding. Uh, I asked and I asked. Eventually um, my, my mum gave in and made me a pair of happy pants. Uh, uh, yes, it was very kind of her. She did a great job but they didn't help me to fit in. Uh, they weren't happy pants, they were sad pants. Um, sometimes, uh, yeah, it's not a nice feeling, like you don't belong. Um, and there's lots of reasons why you might feel that way from time to time. I wonder uh, if you feel like you belong at church. Surely, of all the places that we find ourselves, we ought to feel like we belong in church, in God's family, right? Um, maybe, though, sometimes you feel like you don't have the right language, or the right theology, or maybe, sadly, the right socioeconomic background. I hope people don't feel that way here. I don't think they do. Um, those things don't matter, do they? Uh, as people of God, we, we ought to work really hard at making people who come to us feel like they belong and embracing them. Because, of course, if they belong to Jesus, then they belong to his family. Maybe you don't feel like you belong to God's family. I, I knew someone who told me um, quite emotively that... They were too sinful for God. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Um, have you ever thought, I've got too many issues, I'm too broken, I'm too confused to belong to God's people. God couldn't accept me. How do we know if we belong in God's family? It's probably an important question, isn't it? How do we know that we belong to God's family? Well, in first century Judaism, when Jesus was giving these parables, who was in and who was out was very clear, at least in the minds of the Jewish leaders. See, in the minds of Israel, the kingdom of God belonged to Israel. 
It was this, they were God's chosen people, his holy nation. These were the ones that God had been working with right up uh, all through their history, through their genealogy. Israel was in, everyone else was out. And everyone else had that name, Gentiles. It just means all the other nations, the others. So for the Israelites, this is how the spiritual hierarchy worked. You had the high priest, the chief priest, the elders... You had uh, the Levite nation, the Levite tribe, the, the kind of spiritual leaders. And you had all of Israel, God's people, the in crowd, they were in God's kingdom. And then way down here you had the Gentiles who were out. And then way down even below them you had the scum layer, the detritus. You know, they, these were the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the people... Um, that they really thought had rejected... Well, tax collectors were like traders uh, from Israel but were collecting taxes for Rome. The scum layer. They didn't even associate with these people. In fact, if one of these people came into their home, well, they'd have to go through a rigmarole of cleansing, a ritual cleansing of their home before they could cook in there again. So we're about to dive into three parables uh, that I think make it very clear who belongs to God's kingdom. The first one is the parable of two sons. Uh, pretty straightforward parable, isn't it? You have a father who sends out his sons to work in the vineyard. Uh, I wonder if either of these sons remind you of any of your children, if you happen to have them. So there's two sons. The first one says, nah, I won't go. But changes his mind and does it anyway. The second son gushes, yes, father, yes, I'll go. But then doesn't lift a finger. It does nothing. Well, Jesus asks the spiritual elite who are there in the temple courts for their verdict. What do you reckon? Which one did what the father wanted? And they answer correctly, the first one. Well, what's the point of the parable? What's Jesus trying to say? God requires obedience, not lip service. God requires obedience, not lip service. If you remember the fig tree from last week, a fig tree that Jesus cursed. It was all leaves, but no fruit. And this is the same thing. Israel's leaders have all the outward appearance of religion, but there's no fruit. There's, they fail to recognize Jesus for who he is. They fail to repent. Look at the, um, the, the second half of verse 31 uh, in chapter 21. It says, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, that's John the Baptist, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and, are, and even after you saw this, you still did not repent and believe. Are you picking up the force of Jesus' words? He's essentially saying to them, pointing the finger at them, the scum of the scum are entering God's family before you. Why? What, what, was, what did the prostitutes and the tax collectors have that these spiritual elite, these Israelites leaders did not have? Well, they believed the message of John the Baptist, the way of righteousness. What was John's message? Um, back at the start of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 3, uh, John comes and in verse 2, his message is this. So this is chap Matthew 3, 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John came with a baptism of repentance, a message to prepare the way for Jesus. Israel's leaders failed to repent. They didn't think they needed to. 
They gave lip service to God only. They failed to recognize Jesus as the King, the Messiah, the promised one. Who belongs in God's kingdom? Well, repentant scum, actually. Repentant scum belong in God's kingdom. Prostitutes and tax collectors who originally were furthest away from God, but changed their minds and followed Him when they heard the message of repentance. They belong in God's kingdom. Do you ever feel like you're too sinful to belong in God's family? Too sinful for God? Good. We, we actually are all too sinful for God. He is holy and perfect. So, repent and get on with kingdom living. Let's let God's immense love and grace turn, turn that guilt into joy. Joy in forgiveness and freedom. Uh, joy in salvation. Joy in knowing that you belong to God's family that kind of joy changes behavior as well, doesn't it? God has forgiven me of this sin. Let's walk in His ways, continually dependent on Him. All right, so that's the first parable, the two sons. The second parable, how are we going? Two to go. Uh, the second parable is that, that one of the tenants, those bad tenants. Um, I don't know if you ever watch current affairs shows on TV. I really don't like current affairs shows. Um, I find them just a bit gritty and just a little bit, you know, taking advantage of poor, vulnerable people and putting them on the screen. Um, yeah, these TV shows often, they kind of feature shoddy builders or, you know, extreme makeovers that have gone bad. Um, judging from the commercials, one of these repeat stories they have is the tenants from hell. You know, every few, every few weeks you get it. So it's the different faces, same story. It's cliche. There's a, it's a formula. Uh, you see the inevitable images of the tenants shouting over fences. Uh, you see them, you know, burning floorboards in the backyard or piles of rubbish on the front porch. Tenants from hell. I reckon our second parable uh, puts these tenants from hell and makes them look like angels. These second parable, imagine the headlines for these tenants in the second parable. Uh, it would be something like, tenants claim property, kill all the real estate agents, and then go after and kill the son of the owner. Pretty shocking. It is, it's a shocking parable. These parables are extreme when you stop and think about what's going on. But I reckon they're extreme for a reason, and this parable is meant to be shocking. Again, there's a vineyard. Um, and it's been carefully set up, a considerable cost by the owner. The owner's put a wall around it, dug a wine press, got a watchtower, and it's a big investment. You can expect about four years to go by before you see any fruit, any return. So it's been set up, the, the landowner has gone uh, and has set up tenants to look after the vineyard. And time comes, it's time for some grapes, he sends servants to collect. And what do the tenants do? They beat up and kill the servants. So more servants are sent, it happens again. Lastly, the owner says, I'll send my son. Now note, a son is substantially different to a servant. What do the tenants do, those tenants from hell? They kill the son. They kill the son. And throw him out of the vineyard. Okay, so there's the parable. Again, Jesus addresses those chief priests and elders that are listening and he asks for their verdict. What do you think? 
what will happen? In verse 40, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those tenants? I love their answer. They say in verse 41, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They proclaim their own judgment. And they continue, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him a share of the crop at harvest time. So what's going on in this parable? Jesus builds on the imagery of another disappointing vineyard. Back in Isaiah 5, there's a very similar story of a vineyard where it fails to produce a crop. The vineyard is Israel. The owner of the vineyard is God. The servants are the prophets. And the son is Jesus himself. So God sends prophets to Israel. In the past, in the Old Testament, we can read about them. He sends prophets to tell them, turn back to God, you're going the wrong way. Don't serve false gods. Turn back to God. And what does Israel do with the prophets? They murder them. They abuse them. So God in his mercy sent more prophets. And they did the same thing. They did not heed the warnings. They did not listen to the prophets. Finally, God sends his own son. Surely they'll recognize the Son of God. At this point, Jesus is still walking around as a man. But these people he's proclaiming these parables to shortly would take him to the cross. They kill the Son too. Israel's leaders, standing in the temple courts, are judged by their own words. Those wretcheds will come to a wretched end. Jesus takes this parable and applies it to them. Have a look at verse 43. Chapter 21, verse 43. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce fruit. I think verse 43 is key in this whole section. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you, Israel's leaders, and given to a new people, a people who will produce fruit, who will give to God what is His. Who belongs to the kingdom? Well, No longer is it just the nation of Israel. The kingdom belongs to a new people who will produce fruit, who acknowledge the true son, who pay homage to him. Okay. Do you want to pick up the stone reference here? There's a quote from Psalm 118. Uh, I think it's a little bit confusing, but it's clearly connected to this parable. Uh, Let's just take a couple of moments without going into all the detail, but a little bit of detail about why this this quote from Psalm 18 is here. Um, It's the idea of this capstone. It's a keystone. A couple of things. When it comes to tricky passages, often the simplest reading is the best. Uh, the, the verse 42 says, The stone the builder rejected has become the capstone. In the parable, there's just been told, the parable of the tenants, uh, the stone that's rejected, the rejected one is Jesus, who's the son. He is uh, he's killed. But this rejected son, the rejected stone, will be raised up. It will be brought back. There's going to be a reversal The element of the parable that's missing, of course, is the resurrection. The son in the story stays dead. Then we get the quote. And I think Jesus is saying, there'll be vindication. There'll be a reversal. Immediately after this parable, the son dies. Jesus refers to his vindication. The son will rise. The son who was killed will be 
brought back. Victory will be snatched from the grave. See, three times in the Gospel of Matthew, we've already seen Jesus predict his death at the hands of Israel's leaders and his subsequent resurrection. I think at this point, the psalm is there as another subtle uh, prediction of his resurrection. Okay, there's more stony imagery in this passage, isn't there? Uh, there was the reference to the stumbling stone. I think it's in verse 44. What's going on? Well, this is referred to, there's a number of Old Testament passages that talk about this. Isaiah eight fourteen is one. Uh, it talks, I think Jesus is the stone that Israel rejected and it will cause them to stumble and be crushed. Uh, let's put it all together. Jesus is making a powerful claim. He is saying that the capstone, the rejected stone will be raised up. Jesus is saying the only proper foundation for life is Him. To disobey, to fail to recognise Jesus as the Son of God is to break ourselves and be crushed. Like the tenants, actually, who rebelled um, and don't acknowledge the Son, they'll be broken and crushed. Those wretcheds will come to a wretched end. Like Israel's leaders who failed to recognise Jesus as King, they stumble on the stone. In verse 43, the kingdom will be given to others. Who belongs to the kingdom? Well, it's not a particular nation. It's not a group or a culture. Your heritage or family background or your schooling doesn't count. You belong to the kingdom... If you know the king, you belong to the kingdom if you belong to Jesus. And if you recognize Jesus as God's son, then you're in. You're secure in the stone. You're safe. You're loved. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a wonderful assurance. There's no guessing double guessing if you know Jesus if you know him as God's son then you will be saved it's it's good news you can know for sure so we've had two parables the two sons God wants obedience not lip service and in repentant scum who will get into the kingdom the second one the parable of tenants Israel has badly stumbled and the vineyard will be given to others the last parable it's probably the most extreme. The last parable, the one of the wedding banquet. The king sends out again messengers. I think when you hear messengers again, read prophets. So the king sends out messengers to tell the invited guests, Israel, that the wedding banquet is ready. The, the, the food is cooked. It's hot. You can come now. Come. Come to God's kingdom, the wedding banquet, the wedding feast of the sun. It's ready. And what do the invited guests do? Oh, they ignore him. They tick off and go into their own business. In fact, did you notice in the parable, they even kill the messengers? Can you imagine that? Oh, an invitation to a party. Thanks. Let me just get my knife and kill you. Like, it's pretty harsh. Like, it's meant to be harsh. My goodness, it, it's quite crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So the king brings a swift and fierce response. While the food is getting cold, he launches a military campaign to go and hunt down those people who rejected the invitation and burn their cities. 
Okay, it's an extreme parable, but done for a reason. Well, just like the parable of the two sons and the parable of the tenants, Israel's disobedience and failure to acknowledge Jesus as king is the issue on focus. It's the issue at hand. But notice this parable has a positive note as well. Um, It doesn't stop there. Uh, the, The gracious king then sends out invitations to others. He sends out invitations to anyone and everyone the great wedding banquet of the Son, the kingdom of God, will be filled with people from all nations. Uh, it will be filled with the good and the bad, it says in the passage. It will be filled with all who respond to the invitation. Israel was meant to be God's chosen people, set apart for Him so that the other nations could draw near to God. They could see God's character by looking at how he did business with Israel and they would draw near to God. But they had stumbled. They had failed to do that. They failed to acknowledge him as, as king. And therefore, in verse 43, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to those who will produce fruit. So here's a question. Is it, does, is it meaning then that Israelites are no longer able to get in? Is it a direct swap? Israel out, Gentiles in. Does it mean that actually it doesn't matter uh, what you do? If you're a Gentile, you're in. You can see that that could be a a reading that people might come to. But it's not actually a one-for-one switch. The prostitutes and the tax collectors, it says, are entering God's kingdom ahead of Israel's leaders. But it doesn't mean that the Jews can't come in as well if they repent and acknowledge King Jesus. The vineyard is given to others, but you notice it wasn't just a blank check. The kingdom is given to others who will produce fruit, who will give to the landowner what is his. The parable of the wedding banquet includes uh, a, a second episode, which I think draws out this point as well. I think most of us would prefer, actually, if it wasn't there, but we're not really meant to just take out chunks of Scripture, are we? It's in Matthew 22, verse 11. Uh, this is the bit that probably out of all of them makes me feel the most nervous. It says, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but a few are chosen. What's going on? Well, firstly, what's it not saying? It's not saying that people are going to be kicked out of God's kingdom if they fail to live up to the mark. It's not saying that once you've responded to the gracious invitation of the king all of a sudden it's about works i think what it is saying is don't take it for granted don't don't take it for granted now you you're in the kingdom live kingdom values don't make the same mistakes that the jewish leaders did god's not going to have two different sets of judging It's not good enough to hear the invitation only like uh, the second son did. Don't be like him who said, yes, yes, Father, I will, but then completely ignored the king or his father. 
He lived in disobedience. Some of you might remember a terrible movie that was out a while ago called The Wedding Crashes. Uh, it was a shocker. It was, about, uh, two, it was about two guys who would pretty much just crash wedding feasts, crash the reception, uh, because they wanted the free food, the free alcohol, and they wanted to meet women. Yeah. They had no connection to the bride and groom. They had no family connection. They didn't know anyone there. They would just rock up and pretend. I wonder if that's a bit like this guy with the wrong clothes at the wedding feast. There's a warning here, and I think the warning is this. There'll be no wedding crashes in God's kingdom. God's new chosen people will be made up of all those who hear the invitation and respond to the king. It's the, the new chosen people of God, the people who, who know Jesus as king, who respond to him as God's son, unlike the Israelites' leaders who just paid lip service. All right, let's bring it together. There are three parables grouped together for a main point. Here's the main point. The kingdom belongs to all people who acknowledge King Jesus, repent, and walk in the way of righteousness. Do you feel like you belong in God's kingdom? Well, acceptance of one of God acceptance as one of God's chosen people is not based on heritage. We don't have to come from Jewish roots. In fact, you can even come from scum. Actually, I think we're meant to realize that we're from scum. Entrance is based on grace. Acceptance of the invitation. Entrance is based on recognition of Jesus as your king. The capstone that holds it all together. If you recognize who Jesus truly is, you should never feel on the outer in God's family. Not here and now, and in the kingdom to come, well, it would be impossible to feel on the outer there. If you recognize Jesus as your king, then rejoice. You're in. Be confident about it. Rejoice in God's grace, his love, and his forgiveness. And produce fruit. If you're not sure, if you've never actually said to Jesus, Lord, be my king, I want to give my life to you, then what are you waiting for? Don't wait until you've got, you know, ship shape before you come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, I want to be yours. You can do it right now in your own mind. Uh, let me pray and uh, we'll, um, we'll finish up. Our gracious God, we thank you that you are king, that Jesus came, died, was rose, rose again to life so that all who trust in him, who say, yes, Jesus is my king, can be super confident that we belong in your family. Father God, it's a great privilege to be called yours. Help us to live as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.